it is so good to be together with uh, those in the room and with those online. We're so grateful that we get to share this moment uh, together with you. Uh, for those of you that are new with us, whether you're online or here in the room, we are so grateful that you uh, have, have come today and we get to share this time together. I just want to remind you of what Joe said earlier, that we have a gift for you today. Um, we also hope that you feel today that this is a, um, this is a place in your people that you can feel like you're accepted and you're challenged and encouraged to follow Jesus. And uh, we do have a gift for you today. And those online, we have a gift for you being new with us. Um, just let us know that you're here. And you can do that by taking the Connect card that's located in the seat back of the chair in front of you. And before you leave, for those in the room, we just take it back to the welcome table. And uh, the host will be there. And they'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. Hey, Westside, let's give all of those that are new with us, as well as those watching online, letting, let, a warm welcome, letting them know how grateful we are to share this moment. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question. What guides you when there is a tension in opposing worldviews? What, what guides you when you're in a room and this side of the room believes this and this side of the room believes that? What do you do in those moments when your friends and, your, and, and those that your, your friends have one way of believing about something and your family or even you have a different way of believing about something? And that's what this series is really all about. And in, in this series, we're, we're learning something that, ha- that we have something to guide us and how we see the world around us. Because how you see the world is, is so important. See, when we see the world rightly, we will do what is right. We will respond rightly. Even when right is counter to culture and everyone seems to be doing something in opposition to us. And the reason we see it this way is because of the series big idea that we've been looking at, that Jesus and Scripture direct Christ followers to, count, to live counter to culture and not conform to it. This is how Jesus taught his disciples to live. The way Jesus would teach and the way actually Jesus would live himself was counter to culture. Jesus would teach that, that to just, to just do, thinking that what you do is right doesn't make it right. And scripture shows us that just because you think something is right doesn't make it right. And the way Jesus would live, and not just in the life that he modeled, but the way he taught would, would teach us to, to deny ourselves, die to ourselves, and follow his way of life. And in a culture that wants to protect ourselves and we want to fend for ourselves, living in a way that follows Jesus is counter. To that culture. And there's a visual metaphor that's helped me, and I want to share it with you. It's, I've actually shared this with you before, and it helps me think through complicated issues when there are opposing views, or it, it helps guide me when, when there are opposing views. And I've learned it from, I learned it from another pastor. His name's Ted Cunningham. He's a, he's a pastor. He's also a Christian counselor, a, a licensed Christian counselor, and he calls it the us bus. It's not the U.S. bus, but it's the us bus. And, and the us bus, the way it's pictured is there are many seats on the bus that represent several voices that are directing your beliefs and your beliefs we need to understand are what direct our actions and so we need to look at the voices that are directing our actions and this is a picture of the us bus right here you can see and there's many seats that are on this and i want to look at the, the what this these these voices represent so the us bus represents all of the influences in your life all of those influences in your life which influence how you think, so they direct how you think, which is your beliefs. They also direct how you live, which is your 
actions. And what fills these spots, what occupies the seats on this bus, influence your belief sets, and your belief sets direct how you live your life. Now, while all of these voices are on the us bus um, influencing our beliefs, there is always one voice that is primarily in the driver's seat directing your beliefs, and it's directing what you do. And here are the voices that I I want you to see that are on this us bus, that are in your life, that have influenced your way of living. And as I talk about these, I'm going to talk about these in the way that if one of these were sitting in the driver's seat, how this would direct you. And so one of the voices that I just want to first bring up is emotions. There are people that, that, uh, that we, we got to recognize our emotions direct how we feel, not only, but direct, what we feel can direct what we believe and, and, and do. And for those that allow the, their emotions to be in the driver's seat, they, they, they are directed solely by what they feel. You know someone's driving, you, you know this is driving what someone believes and what someone does when someone says, well, I did it just because it felt right. Or I I, I, I do whatever makes me happy. Like, if that's the motivation, emotions are there in the driver's seat of their life. Another seat that occupies a bus and sometimes takes the driver's seat is relationships. And we know that relationships are driving our bus when we're directed by what we've learned from people we know, when what we learn from what they've experienced or the truths that they believe. You know someone is driven by a relationship when, when they will say something like this, well, I used to believe that way until I met so-and-so. And when I met so-and-so, it changed what I believed about this. Or you met someone and you've seen people in your life that, that maybe in your family or a close friend of yours, and all of a sudden they, they, they're in a relationship and you know that they shouldn't be in that relationship. And you, and you wish they would get out of that relationship. And they know that relationship is bad for them. But man, whenever I'm with him or her, it just changes the way everything is. You know, the relationship is driving that. Another seat on that bus, another voice that occupies a seat and sometimes occupies the driver's seat is experiences. And you know that experiences are, are in the driver's seat when, and when you're directed by what we've done or what's been done to us. And, and when someone says, hey, I went through this, and when I went through this, it changed how I saw this, what I believed about this. Or I never could have seen it that way because of what I've done, or, or, or what's happened to me, that our experiences change. Now, another voice that sits on this is, the cult, is culture around us. And this is when we are directed by the loudest and most influential voices in society. And you know that this is a driver in, your, in someone's life when, when what they, the pressure and the peer pressure of the loudest cultural voice is what directs their conscience. That they're, they, they allow culture to direct their conscience and nothing else. Another seat on the bus is traditions. A traditions. When we are directed by what we've always done or what we've always believed. This is how it's always been. And you've seen people, and you've likely, maybe even in your life, have, have seen where traditions have taken that place in that driver's seat. This is when, well, this is the way we've always believed it as a family. This is the way that, that this, the church has always believed, or, or even the, our religion has always believed. This is the way we've always believed, and we let that belief be in the driver's seat of our us bus. And then there's a last uh, seat on this bus, and, and for those that aren't Christ, Christ followers, this might even, not even be on their bus. But for those of us who are Christ followers, this is another important seat. It's Jesus and Scripture. And the reason I put Jesus and Scripture together is because there there are, are a lot of people 
who separate the two. They'll say, I follow Jesus, but I'm not really sure about Scripture. You know, I, I believe the red letters of Jesus. I'm not sure I'm on board with what Paul says. Or, you know, I, I, I love the Gospels, but you know what? I'm not sure about the Old Testament. I don't see how the God of the Old Testament is the same God as Jesus claims to be. And in this, we need to understand that Jesus and Scripture are what guide our beliefs and actions. And when Jesus and Scripture is in the, the driver's seat, this is when we're directed by the truth of Jesus and the wisdom of Scripture. And those who place Jesus and Scripture in the driver's seat understand something. We understand that the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus validates everything that Scripture points and talks about in regards to Jesus. See, we realize that the resurrection of Jesus helps us understand that, that we, the Bible, and it helps us see that the Bible is true and that these Scriptures are God's inspired Word that guides us, that directs us in our beliefs and our actions. Now I want to ask you a question today. With Jesus in Scripture, where is Jesus in Scripture on your bus, in your life, what seat does he occupy? Is he in the driver's seat directing you and, and guiding all your beliefs and all your actions? Or are you maybe like, well, he's on the bus, and actually, I, I put him in the passenger seat sometimes. And, you know, I put him in the passenger seat because I need to, there's some times that I need to navigate something I don't know how to navigate. So I'll go to Jesus in Scripture, and I'll look at Jesus in Scripture to help me navigate a difficult situation. He's on the bus, but he's sometimes in the passenger seat. And I only refer to him when I need to refer to him. Or is he in the back seat, kind of like we put our kids with the minivan because we want distance. Don't act like you don't do that. <laughs> I do it too. I didn't come up in the other services, by the way. <laughs> Bonus for you. <laughs> and, and in this, we put, him in the, we put Jesus in Scripture in the back because it's nagging. And we, don't, we want him as far away from influencing and guiding us and directing us. See, where is Jesus in your life? And while there are many voices, we need to recognize many voices that guiding our or influencing our beliefs and action. Only one voice can occupy this seat of the driver's seat. And whichever voice is in the driver's seat guiding your beliefs and actions will determine the direction and ultimately the destination of your life. Because intentions don't determine your direction. It's direction, not intentions, that determine your and my destination in life. And this is why I believe that you need to show your life and you need to live your life with Jesus as this image shows. Jesus and scripture in the driver's seat of your beliefs and your actions. Because when Jesus is in that seat directing your life and in, in how you believe and how you live, then it, everything you do will have a positive influence, not just in you, but in the lives around you. Because isn't that true? Everything you do not just influences you or impacts you, but everything you believe that leads to everything you do impacts the lives around you, especially the ones that are closest to you. And whether you believe this or want to believe this, or not, it is true. And people who have called themselves Christians for far too long have allowed a, an emotion to sit in the driver's seat. 
have allowed an experience to sit in the driver's seat, have allowed church traditions to sit in the driver's seat, have allowed a relationship to sit in the driver's seat, or have allowed an experience or culture to sit in the driver's seat of what directs their beliefs and actions. But we need to see why we need to allow Jesus in Scripture. See, Jesus in Scripture, when it sits in the driver's seat of our life, Jesus in Scripture lead us to know the wisdom of God which guides us in what to believe and how to behave. When Jesus and Scripture are not in the driver's seat of my life, and when Jesus and Scripture are not in the driver's seat of your life, you will be misdirected in life, and you will be misguided in what to believe and how to live. And as we've been unlearning in this series, when Jesus and Scripture are at the center of our lives and direct our beliefs and actions, we live differently. We live selflessly. Living selflessly, living, living selflessly leaves the most positive influence and most influential, makes the most meaningful and influential impact on the lives of the people around us. Now, why would I take all of this time to talk about this today? Because what we talk about today is a very sensitive topic. Just as sensitive as when we talked about sexuality two weeks ago, in racism last week. And when it comes to sensitive topics, we need to remind ourselves to see people the way Jesus sees people. See, when people oppose your view, we must remember they are made in the image of God, regardless of what they say or do. When you see as Jesus sees, you're going to love as Jesus loves, regardless of someone's point of view, what they say or even what they do. And how, oh my goodness, how, how we share our beliefs, how we share our beliefs are just as important as what we believe. The Apostle Paul would direct this church in Ephesus, and he would direct the church in Ephesus, and he, would, he was directing them to equip one another. He was equipping them to, he was to, so they could equip each other to an end, and this end state that Paul saw that the church in Ephesus needed to aspire toward was to be a fully mature. He said, you need to equip one another so you can become fully mature, mature and mature in your faith, be fully knowledgeable in what you believed in your faith, united as one. He would encourage them to be united as one, and then to the end state that they could all measure up to the full standard of Jesus. And then Paul says that when they're unified in what they believe about Jesus, in the truth, in, in their faith in Jesus, this is when they will be mature. And there's something about mature people. Mature people are not swayed by a relationship. Mature people are not swayed by political persuasion. Mature people are not swayed by culture or someone, an experience. Mature people are not swayed by their emotions. And this is what he would tell them in verse 14 of chapter 4. He would say, then after you've equipped each other in the truth that, that you're knowledgeable and so you can be presented to God as, as, in the full measure of maturity, then you will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. See, in a culture with clashing views, you're not going to be deceived by one persuasion or one political view. 
that we will ignore those distracting views in light, in view of God's truth and revealed in Jesus in the scripture that's directing our beliefs and actions. And then he says this, instead, speaking the truth in love. Instead, speaking the truth, a truth that is anchored in who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, a truth that is embedded in God's inspired word that leads us to know Jesus and the wisdom of God. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. This passage, inspired by the Holy Spirit, given by Paul to this church in Ephesus, directs us today in how to live counterculture. This is directed by the law of Christ, which Paul said is a law that, that is governing our life. For those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, we are saved, and there is a new law at work within us. It's the loving that we love one another as Christ has loved us, that we're kind to one another as Christ is kind to us, that we're compassionate to one another as Christ has shown his compassion on us, and we are forgiving to others as Christ has forgiven us. But before we speak the truth, from scripture, we must rid ourselves of all bitterness and unforgiveness so we can speak in love. See, only when we rid ourselves of the bitterness, anger, rage, the slander that's within us can we be positioned to speak what is true, anchored in the truth of Jesus, anchored in his scripture. We can speak it only then in love. You, you know what bitter and angry people are? You know what bitter and people who slander are? The people who didn't get what they want. I mean, that, that's reality. I mean, that's the reason I get angry. I didn't get what I want, which reveals my selfishness, doesn't it? And only when I empty myself of myself, and only when we empty ourselves of ourselves and receive God's love and forgiveness that he has shown to us through Christ, then can we, once we've come to the end of ourselves, receiving God's grace for us, can we live selflessly and be kind and compassionate? That we can be kind to others and lend others our strength, not reminding them of our weaknesses. That we can then be moved with compassion for others and the injustices that they have suffered. See, we cannot be kind or compassionate or forgiving when we are full of bitterness, anger, slander, and wrongful intentions. In other words, we must be unoffendable. We must see that Jesus carried in his body the full measure of justice 
that when he died on the cross, he carried in his death the full measure of justice for all the offenses that you'll ever commit, for all the offenses that someone has committed against you, and for all the offenses of all the humanity against God and against each other. He carried that full justice of sin. And when we have died to ourselves and we come to this understanding that, that, that we have died to ourselves and we empty ourselves of ourselves, then we can be in a place that nothing's going to offend us. One point of view is not going to be offensive to you. And it's only then can we speak the truth anchored in who Jesus is in love. And when it comes to our sexuality, when it comes to racism, when it comes to the sanctity of life, the church must lead with love, emptying ourselves of everything else. And while we stand firm in the truth of Jesus that is anchored in Scripture, we walk in love, not in bitterness, rage, anger, or malice, or slander. We stand in the truth of Jesus because of this. Jesus reveals to us the full nature of the God of the Bible. In Colossians 2, verse 9, Paul says that Jesus is the fullness of God. And when we look at matters like this matter of the sanctity of life or the matter of abortion, we see Jesus and we see that he reveals to us the full nature of God. And as soon as I mention that word abortion, maybe something comes up inside of you. And for those of you that maybe you're listening today and you've had an abortion or maybe you've influenced somebody to have an abortion or you have a part to play in someone having an abortion and, and you feel that God couldn't forgive you, I want you to know that God through Jesus shows you the full love that he has for you and a compassion and a mercy. And Jesus shows us the full measure of a loving, merciful, and forgiving God. God does not come to condemn those who of us in our sin but he wants to heal all of us in this and for those of us that are looking for direction on what our view should be regarding abortion jesus and scripture show us something jesus and scripture show us that god is life and that all life belongs to god god is life and all life belongs to him. Jesus would state that he is the resurrection and the life. And when the Holy Spirit of God would bring Jesus back to life, then everything, when the Holy Spirit did this, it proved that Jesus was God, that his words about himself were true. And it proved that God is life. And anything that has life has been given life from God. Thus, all life belongs to to him. The prophet Ezekiel, when God would speak through Ezekiel to the nation of Israel, Ezekiel would be God's mouthpiece. And this is what Ezekiel would say to this nation. He said, for everyone belongs to me. On God's behalf, he would say, everyone belongs to me. Just pause right there. Have you ever thought that you belong to God? I mean, have you ever realized this? Do you think this way? Do you believe this way? Does this, do, you, do you live this way that you belong to God? Or do you believe that you belong to you? Because what you think about this and your view about who you belong to 
will affect and influence what you say and what you do. And what you, your view about who people belong to will influence you, what you say and will influence what you do. So God through Ezekiel says, everyone belongs to me. The parent as well as the child. Both alike belong to me. And then he says, the one who sins is the one who will die. Now the reason God says this to Israel is because there was a belief that the children were, must suffer from the sins of the parents. And, and they, they must suffer the consequences of the sins of the parents. And there was a belief that the parents must suffer the consequences of the sins of the children. But God says to this nation, you are accountable for you. And he would say, therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the Lord. And he would say, repent. And this word repent, we've looked at in our series that this repent in the New Testament is to change your mind, change your paradigm. Because when you change your mind, it'll change how you live. He says, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all the offenses you've committed and get a new heart and a new spirit, which would be a prophecy to what Jesus would do. See, all who put their trust in Jesus, Jesus would say, I'm going to make you born again. I'm going to give you a brand new heart. I'm going to put a new life in you. And this is what Jesus would do. And then God says through Ezekiel to this nation of Israel, why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Change your mind and live. Repent and live because God wants to give life because he is life. And I know this is a difficult passage. And the reason it's difficult is because God gives us what we want. See, when we reject Jesus as Savior and Lord, we reject God. We're saying, God, I don't want you in my life. And to not want God is to not have God. And to not have God is to not have life. And that is death. See, while death is a consequence of sin, we must realize God takes no pleasure in death. God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone who was created in his image. We must see as God sees. And when God sees people, he sees his image. And his image is life. And when God sees the unformed child, he sees his image that is his life. Throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit would inspire the authors to show us how God sees the child inside the womb or the unformed child or the unborn child. And in Psalm 139, verse 14, we read where the psalmist says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your way, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. While on the cross, Jesus would quote Psalm 22, verse 1. And Psalm 22, verse, Jesus would validate this entire, the, the, the book of Psalms by quoting from this psalm. And not only that, but Psalm verse 9 of chapter 22 would say this. Yet this, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's worm, womb, you have been my God. See, all life belongs to God. 
God would build confidence in Jeremiah to go to the nation of Israel to speak on God's behalf, a bold message. And he would say something to Jeremiah. He would tell Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. In Luke 1, the pregnant aunt of Jesus comes to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And look, what, look, look how Luke writes about what happens in this encounter when, when, when um, Sarah comes to Mary. And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Elizabeth, not Sarah, but forgive me. The baby in my womb leaped for joy. Paul, when writing to the Galatians, recognized that God saw him before he was ever born. In Galatians 1.15, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. See, all life, God sees life differently. God sees all life, including life in the womb, as his life. All life belongs to God. And while an unborn baby is hidden from us, he or she is not hidden from God. See, God sees the life in the womb as his life, bearing his image. God also sees the life of the woman with child as his life, bearing his image. Both are precious to God. And while circumstances surrounding pregnancy can be broken, they can be painful, and they're unjust sometimes. God sees both lives bearing his image and both lives that he sees belong to him and both lives are his. See, both the life of the woman with child and the life of the unformed child belong to God and are precious to him. We need to see as God sees so we can love as God Loves. We need to see that God loves the women with children who are struggling and contemplating an abortion or being pressured by someone to have an abortion. And while there may be broken circumstances around this woman who is contemplating something, and that, and that woman that, that is in those, that broken circumstance opposes your worldview, that woman is precious to God. And we need to see all women, with child and without child, as precious to God. That, that when they, a woman care, is carrying life, that that, that that woman is just as precious as, as the life inside the womb. And both life of the unborn child and the life of that woman belongs to God. And, and the, because both of them bear his image and we need to treat them appropriately. We need to see that life of the unformed child is precious to God. We need to see as God sees so we can love as God loves. So what do we do? Well, Jesus in Scripture, I believe, lead us to first contend for life. Contend for life. This is counterculture, and we stand up against culture, and we contend for life because God is life. We see that all life belongs to him. And when culture says, it's my body, it's my choice, we contend that our bodies don't belong to us. Our bodies belong to God because all life belongs to God. And when men, men who are selfish, men who are selfish and scared pressure women to have an abortion, we need to contend for life. 
We need to come in and help that man see that, that, that woman as, as someone valuable and precious to God. And men, we need to treat women as precious and valuable to him. We need, when parents pressure a daughter to have an abortion, we need to contend for life. When selfish doctors only see money, we need to contend for life. When, when, because we contend that life belongs to God and life does not belong to us. We are stewards of lives that God has given us. Proverbs 24.10 says, If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? God perceives our motives. And we must be motivated by a truth that's anchored in who Jesus is and what he says and the truth of Scripture and the wisdom it is. And we need to be anchored and let this be motivated by love so we can then contend for life. And so we contend for life and we also, we share the gospel. We share the gospel that leads to life with those who are broken in life. This is what the gospel of Jesus does. It brings healing to those who are broken. And women who have contemplated an abortion or have had an abortion, I recognize, are likely suffering brokenness. And those that have influenced women to have an abortion or have made it to where a woman is choosing to have an abortion are suffering brokenness. And we all, men and women included, that share responsibility in the circumstances, the broken circumstances that lead to even contemplating or even having an abortion, we need to share the gospel that brings full restoration and brings healing to those who are broken in life. Because the gospel of Jesus brings life to broken people. Whether the woman is broken from the shame of what happened to her because she was, uh, because of a man selfishly abused her. Or if her brokenness is from her own choice, the gospel of Jesus wants to come in and bring life. And we share the gospel of Jesus because Jesus wants to come and bring life to them. The gospel of Jesus can bring life to those who have been pressured and those who have pressured someone to have an abortion, pressured a daughter to have an abortion. We need to recognize the, 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 the brokenness in our life and allow God to come in his gospel to bring healing to us. See, every person who has had a part in an abortion or is contemplating an abortion needs to be restored gently. And the gospel is a power that is at work within those who need to be made whole. And if you've had an abortion or you share responsibility in an abortion, I want you to know something about the gospel of Jesus, that when you trust in Jesus as your Savior and you're, as your Lord, then, then what you've done or what's been done to you, Jesus doesn't see you in that view. He sees you through what Jesus did on the cross. And through his death, he took on the penalty of all of our sins and all what's happened to us and the injustices, injustices of what's happened to you or even the injustices that we've done. And he sees us through love and mercy. And you are not what you've done. You are not what has happened to you or what's been done to you. You are what Jesus has done for you. And his love and his mercy 
is what led him to bring upon himself the punishment for all sin of all time. And if you carry that pain and that, and that shame from an abortion, I want you to know something, that God saves by forgiving us completely. God saves by forgiving us completely. Many people feel they cannot be forgiven because of something like this, because of what they've done. They, they, they can't even forgive themselves, much less have God forgive them. Please don't believe that lie. Please don't believe that lie. You can be forgiven. The cross of Jesus shows us that God in Christ has forgiven you. He's taken upon the full justice of all sin. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because God loves you and God has already forgiven you completely. All he wants you to do is look to him, look to him, receive his love and receive his forgiveness towards you. Psalm 103 says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So God, we contend for life, and, and God forgives, and he saves us deeply. That's what the gospel of Jesus means. And God saves and forgives us deeply, and God heals deeply. God saves and forgets, forgives us completely, and God heals deeply. When someone who has forced someone to have an abortion, and we rec I recognize that when someone has had an abortion, that pain can be deep. And there's no pain that we face that's beyond the measure of what God's grace and his healing can come and restore. God's power can go to the depths of our wounds and bring restoration to our souls regardless of what we've done or what has happened to us. God can come into our brokenness and he can bring complete healing and restoration. When a woman with a sinful past and a painful past saw the love of Jesus, when that, that the love of Jesus had for her, and when she recognized all the things that she'd done wrong and all the things that she went through when she was abused and misused, she comes to Jesus recognizing his love for her and she cast herself before Jesus and her pain was so deep and so great that her tears were so much that her tears began to wet Jesus' feet. She began to wipe his feet with her hair. And Jesus would look at this woman, broken in her pain. And he would say to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When Jesus would say this word saved, it, it's this Greek word sozo. It means rescued, but it's more than that. You were completely made well. Your faith in, in what I can do for you has completely made you well. See, when you recognize that Jesus is your healer and your savior, there's no wound too deep for God to come and like that woman, look at you. And he wants to say to you, be made well. Be restored. And when you've received the restoration of your loving, merciful, forgiving Heavenly Father, you can go in peace. You can go 
be complete, fulfilled, satisfied, you can go made whole. Because he sees you as his. So what do we do? We see that all life belongs to him. And for those here today, maybe you recognize that you're broken, maybe because of this situation or because of an abortion that you've played a part in or you had. God wants to restore you. Turn to him. And for those who are contemplating what your view on abortion should be, may we see that all life belongs to God and both the woman with the child and the unformed child belong to him and are precious to him. And we will contend for life. And we will share the gospel of Jesus that leads to life. And I, that way people can respond and receive his forgiveness. And people can find healing in their whole person. We're going to have prayer partners available, and I recognize that this may be a very sensitive thing and a personal thing. We also have a, a text message on your notes. It's on the screens. That a, a, a phone number you can text message us for prayer. Also, we'd love to walk alongside anyone and, and help make a counselor available to you because we want you to find the full healing that Jesus came to bring. Can I pray for us this morning? Father, thank you. Thank you that you showed us and proved to us that you are life. Thank you that Jesus came and showed us the full nature of a loving, caring, compassionate, and forgiving God. Thank you that you sh show that all life belongs to you and that you see life. And help us see as you see and so we can love as you love. And for those who are suffering brokenness today, may they see that they are loved by you. May they walk in your forgiveness. And may they be whole through your healing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, Westside. Our prayer partners would love to pray with anyone today. We'll see you next time.